1: It's Lifeline with Craig Roberts. He's the host of Northern California's longest-running conservative talk show. He's a man with a message, a conservative with compassion. He's Lifeline's own Craig Roberts.
0: Well, a pleasant good afternoon to you, five minutes after the hour of 5 p.m. here on a Tuesday, sixth day of April. Deep breath, everybody. Normally I'd be saying something like, watch out, we've just got a scant few days to go. Before your taxes are due, but this year I get to say, got a little bit more time. Seventeenth of May they are due, so uh, for all the pro- uh, the procrastinators out there, <laughs> you've uh, you've benefited from all of this. So, what to talk about today? Oh my goodness, there's a lot going on. Cancel culture rearing its ugly head big time. We know, of course, about what's been transpiring with a couple of uh, major corporations, including also the, the Major League Baseball, saying that's okay, all-star game out of Atlanta, Georgia. Coca-Cola upset, Delta writing letters. And you've got to wonder where it's all going to end. The bigger part of this, of course, kind of comes down to the um, sort of the ground zero of this debate in relationship to big tech. And I'm just wondering if we're simply reaping what we have sown, meaning we empowered the monster by giving it all of our details and private information. And now that they have it, they're doing with it what they want, and we gave it up voluntarily. So how do you go about reigning all of this in? And is it truly a violation of First Amendment rights when a private corporation or a private company controls the dialogue on its platform as opposed to the government. Well, we'll talk about all that. Jerry Bowyer joins us today, publisher of the affluent Investor Daily, best-selling author and journalist. We'll get to that conversation a little bit later on. Meanwhile, boy, have they been busy. Secularists in Sacramento coming up with all kinds of crazy pieces of legislation We've talked about Assembly Bill 1084. That is a fix in search of a problem that doesn't exist, that uh, in the midst of all the challenges that retail is facing across the state and across the union, why not penalize them for having departments for toys or clothing for boys and girls? Because after all, that's the crisis du jour, right? And along with that, uh, more information on Another assembly bill that um, is quite insidious and dangerous, Assembly Bill 101, that uh, I, I suppose in a misguided effort to try and educate the children of California on the diverse, uh, diverse uh, ethnicities that make up our state, um, is actually doing something that would never be tolerated Were this being promoted by people of the Jewish faith or the Christian faith? Let's find out what's going on. Brad Dacus joins us, president of the Pacific Justice Institute. And um, Brad, it's just amazing. It seems as if uh, insanity knows no limits in terms of the bills that they're able to come up with in Sacramento. Give us more information. We talked about this several weeks ago but I want to go a little bit deeper into what exactly assembly bill 101 is and why it's so dangerous.
2: Yeah, the, 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 uh, outer show of it looks really nice. It's all about, um, you know, ethnic diversity, sensitivity, cultural awareness, all sounds fine. But the problem is it's very, uh, radical and fanatical. Uh, for example, this uh, legislation would have children in in school uh, rec- uh, reciting chants uh, to the Aztec god, the sun god. Uh, that's the same god that the Aztecs worshipped by killing uh, thousands and thousands, sacrificing thousands of little babies on their on the, the god's altar, um, as well as just uh, horrific teach- uh, actions, cannibalism. Um, that's the, and it's an, that's the God they actually are going to have chance to. And their, their basic goal, though, I don't think these people believe in God at all, really putting this together. Their goal is to try to uh, crush the Christian influence in culture and society, and it parallels along the lines with uh, the counterculture movement uh, to itsivity.
0: And what's... Um fascinating about this is just how disingenuous it was that if we had suggested that in the midst of teaching lessons on, say, European history, we wished for children to uh, sing a, a wonderful hymn or two that was birthed out of the Reformation, a uh, certainly valid part of uh, of world history to be sure, but were that to be suggested, you had better believe the secularists would be up in arms claiming that this is a violation of the First Amendment, it is a violation of the Establishment Clause, how dare you engage in this kind of behavior, and yet when the shoe is on the other foot, conveniently, all such objections just seem to melt away. Funny how that works.
2: Yeah, it, it's so true, Craig, and and, uh, and what I just mentioned, the Aztec God, um, that's just one example of, uh, the, the kind of, um, information in there. There's other gods, uh, they engage in chants to pray to, uh, that they recite that are, you know, or holy prayers of other, uh, religions. Uh, but Christianity is nowhere in, 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 uh, in a positive way. In fact, um, it's actually attacked, um, as the, um, as the, the, the white privilege religion. And it's, It's it's really a lot of hate and animosity, um, even some anti-Semitism for that matter, uh, that has gotten many people who are educated uh, about it extremely alarmed. And the fact that they want to statutorily institutionalize this at all grade levels to completely indoctrinate our children, just like they did with the radical uh, sex ed uh, materials that's all the way down to the kindergarten level. Um, it it's, it's very disturbing. Of course, we at Pacific Justice, from a constitutional perspective, are going to be examining this uh, both on its face as well as applied uh, for, for potential uh, legal challenge moving ahead.
0: If this I, I would law. certainly hope so and would appreciate that because uh, clearly any parent at face value would look at this and say, you know, I, I would like to reserve religious instruction. Um, for my child's attendance in Sunday school or catechism will set the tone for that. Uh, it's okay for children to be educated on, uh, you know, world history certainly, and 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 other cultures, and all well and good. But I I really fail to see the connection between learning such matters from a historical standpoint, and that somehow what we're driving the lesson home by having them engage in chanting. Um, I mean, it 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 really as you suggest. At face value, uh, wants to take on an air of just being, you know, uh, uh, broad-minded and 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 fair and and uh, giving a sense of equality to uh, to world religions. But at the core, clearly, is missing the mark. Because I got a bet, if anybody was in any of those conferences uh, being held by the uh, state board of education that determine the nature and and um, uh, details related to this curricula, and somebody said, well, look, if you're going to do a chat to the Aztec God, we need one or two good rousing choruses of nearer my God to thee, and, you know, let's start the list. Nobody would look at that and think you were serious. And yet, this is as ju- serious as a heart attack, isn't it? it?
2: It is, and also, we need to realize that, the, you know, the gods and religions that they're worshiping and, and they're reciting chants to and prayers to, um... These were dangerous cultures. Um, there is a difference uh, when you compare the Judeo-Christian culture and, and, and our structure of civilization versus those where they regularly sacrifice babies, uh, were cannibalistic, ate human flesh, um, and it just didn't It's just it's, 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 there is a difference, and to put in the minds of children that maybe it, that everything is the same, everything's okay um i think it's facilitating some even greater uh problems down the road with regards to um people in uh stepping outside of, of what we accept as um as, as decent civilized human beings and that's 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 also very dangerous as well moving forward there was actually a, a uh, an american islamic terrorist uh went to the taliban uh in seventh grade he learned in Marion county up there in the bay area from across the centuries, which glorified um, Islam in a very grotesque way, in in an outrageous way. They've since changed the text. But it has an impact, and that's something else we have to consider.
0: Well, and, and listen, don't think that this is by accident. Of course it has an impact, and of course they know that it has an impact, and you better believe that every bit of this is fully intentional. Again, as I suggested in my opening remarks, were the proverbial shoe on the other foot, the hue and cry at the school board or um, at the board in Sacramento, the State Board of Education. I mean, it, it would be the lead story on the 6 o'clock news for weeks on end uh, how these Christians are up there trying or these Jews are up they're trying to promote their values and their religion and yet when conveniently they're about their agenda recognizing the the ability to essentially mold young minds and that's exactly what they're attempting to do it's not just about education, it's indoctrination and it's scary Assembly Bill 101 Go ahead, I'm sorry Brad, go ahead
2: Oh, I'm sorry. And it's it's very scary, but it's also um, very unconstitutional if they uh, pass this and apply it as it's written. And I can assure you, we at Pacific Justice uh, are not afraid to to challenge it um, strategically.
0: Well, we appreciate that, and thank you so much for keeping us uh, apprised of what's uh, transpiring here. We'll continue to follow the story. There's Brad Dake as president Founder of the Pacific Justice Institute. We've been talking about Assembly Bill 101 that is essentially inviting teachers to lead chants to Aztec gods because they can. But no, they can't, at least not constitutionally. Brad Dacus. Information available on the web pacificjustice.org. Pacificjustice.org. Never a dull moment for the California State Legislature, that's to be sure. 515.
1: And now back to Lifeline with Craig
2: Roberts.
0: All right, welcome back to the conversation. If you have at all been watching or even perhaps participated in the debates over the role of social media in the 2016, 2018, and again, the 2020 election, you're certainly not alone. And I got to tell you, maybe at a level, and we're going to ponder this with my next guest, maybe at a level, it's not exactly Zuckerberg's or Dorsey's fault that these platforms have the kind of power and influence that they had. Because at the end of the day, the party responsible for giving them much of the power, well, look in the mirror, we created a monster. We did so by divulging every boring to assorted details of our lives, surrendering every thought and documenting every action laid out before the entire world and placed knowingly, wittingly, willingly in the hands of big tech. So Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, Twitter, Google et all. we want to hold them accountable. And I think there's a level at which this is going to be equal to trying to stuff all the feathers back in the proverbial pillow once you've ripped it open and turned a fan on in the room. (laughs) Sounds like an I Love loopsy episode. We want these Internet operators and platforms to be responsible and fair. But now that we've surrendered as much as we have, is that even possible? Let's try to reason through all of this. Jerry Boyer joins us now. He's an economist, best-selling author, journalist, publisher of the affluent Investor Daily. And Jerry, always a privilege to have you join us.
1: And always a privilege to be with you, Craig.
0: Boy, there's a lot of power here. There's a lot of money. There's a lot of influence here and i'm i'm really torn because at a level you look at this and say you know they ought to be a little bit less biased a little bit more even handed uh, the alarming uptick in cases of outright censorship handed toward people of every stripe from conservatives to republicans to um christians of all makes and kinds is 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 steadily growing larger and louder Day by day, and of course they will come back they meaning uh, big tech and say well we're just responding to the human cry of people that were upset over things that's transpired in the last three election cycles, so you know we're 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 coming to sort of police our own platforms, but is it too little, too late, and is that even a disingenuous uh, effort on their behalf when they're claiming to try and and create a better sense of parity on their platforms, all the while signaling certain, um, shall we say, ideologies out for potential censorship.
1: Yeah, I I think it probably is too late, um, and or or it's at least too late given their current organization and personnel. So I mean, I happen to think that. Um, I, Try to give people the benefit of the doubt where where I you know, where I can, um, and I think maybe Zuckerberg um, and Dorsey et cetera, Maybe they really do think they're being fair um, because they are in such a thought bubble that maybe they think that everybody who believes that um, you know male and female are distinct um, and not this not the same gender and that you can't transition from one between the other. Maybe they think we really are the equivalent of Nazis and therefore outside the discussion of reasonable people because maybe they don't know anybody like us, like half the country or more. Um, So they might have such limited experience that this really seems fair to them, but it isn't. Um, which means that they need to do something to make sure that there are people who are involved in the process of deciding you know, who gets dropped and who doesn't, who gets blocked and who doesn't, who actually think like half the country. There just needs to be somebody there. you know, When Netflix is deciding to put out uh, you know, a trailer for a movie that sexualizes young girls, you need to have a Midwestern Christian mom in the room to say, hold on. Uh, Hey, listen, you know, code boys, I understand this might not seem weird to you. This is horrible. So you need to have, you know, you need to have diversity. The thing they talk about so much, um, how much diversity they have, they don't really have any diversity. They have skin diversity and sexual identity diversity, but they don't have viewpoint diversity. So even if they want to be fair, even if I bend over backwards and stretch and say, okay, they do want to be fair – you can't be fair to a view that you have no familiarity whatsoever with and that nobody in your team represents.
0: And I have to wonder if if maybe part of this is part and parcel to a a larger problem that has been brewing in America for many years. For example, I I hearken back to the day and age when the motion picture code was put in place. It was, quote-unquote, voluntary, although I certainly think the watchful eye of the federal uh, government or Congress at the very least was never uh, uh, too far out of their minds. And essentially, uh, they created a code that was based on a common moral belief and did their best to follow that code, least there be penalties put in place, uh, because at the end of the day, they were trying to appeal to as broad an audience as possible, and it wasn't in their best interest Um, to to be offending, you know, potential moviegoers, listeners to the radio, readers of a newspaper, et cetera, et cetera. I want to wonder if, Jerry, maybe part of the problem today is not only is there a a true lack of real diversity, as we might define it, in both the boardrooms and and decision-making centers of many of these big tech organizations, but also the fact that Trying to find a common moral code upon which we can agree what is acceptable and what is not acceptable is becoming a big and bigger challenge isn't it?
1: Yes, because there isn't a common moral code anymore um because America was influenced by Christianity strongly um, and there was a mix largely protestant Puritan, Puritan Christianity early then waves of Catholic immigrants, um, and then you have waves of immigrants, uh, Jewish immigrants, and so we get this kind of Judeo-Christian worldview ethic. uh, And there was a common morality that essentially was based on that, so that even atheists... They still kind of lived in that world, in that common morality world, but that 's gone we don 't have a common moral code we don 't have a common world view. Uh, we have very distinct tribes now. I believe that there is a common uh, or moral code in the sense of there is a true objectively true moral code which is revealed in the Bible and lived out impersoned by Jesus Christ. Um, so I think that's the real moral code, and the others are, you know, reflections of that, or dim reflections, or you know, rebellions against it. Um, but I think we're past the idea that we can just push uh, point to common sense. There isn't common sense. Jesus has a parable about this: the parable of the wheat and the tares. Over time, wheat becomes more weedy, a uh, wheat um and tares become more tarish. Um, and so the different worldviews are maturing into what they are. And I think that basically the world of social media is kind of tear terror world. Um, it's very secular. It's very left. It has a religion based really on technological utopia. They're more likely to believe in the singularity than they are in the Lord of Hosts. Um, and um, so they think that they're the mainstream, this tiny little subsection, this fragment of culture. Uh, this atheistic um, fragment of culture that believes that maybe we are all playing in a giant video game or something, they really think they're the mainstream. And the majority of people who hold to Christianity or Judaism were treated as though we're odd birds um, destined for the dustbin of history. But, you know, on on the other hand, isn't it kind of our fault in some sense? We could have built the platforms, but we didn't. You know, so they were technologically and entrepreneurially forward-looking and they built these platforms, which you know we're now all sort of addicted to, um, and we didn't. We didn't embrace the technological possibility of this, so we've got to play catch up now.
0: Well, and not only did we fail to embrace uh, that sort of forward-thinking vision, as you suggest, to to see the potential of the technology. But then a lot of people have been major contributors to giving them the kind of power that they've gained. I mean, I I do not spend any time on Facebook, and yet I hear stories about people that want to reveal every minute detail what I had for dinner, how long I stood in the line at the restaurant to be seated, who was at my table, every minutiae of detail, not recognizing that, you know, the old adage, information is power. And we have turned over so much information to these platforms that now what have they done? They've done what we could expect them to do. And it doesn't even have to be sort of a dark Orwellian thing. It's just logic. Information is power. Information can also be money. And they've managed to cull both out of all of the information that we have. Nobody, if you're a listener right now and you're actively on Facebook, nobody put a gun to your head and said you must sign up for Facebook and you must post pictures of what you had for breakfast this morning. But here's we've done basic it. Adage, and
1: um, here's a basic adage when you're dealing with social media or, or really any service. If it's free, you're not the customer. And if you're not the customer mm. and it's a business, then you're the product. We are not, we, uh, social media pretends that we're the customer, but we're really the product.
0: Boy, you know, I'm going to have you repeat that because I want that to kind of sink in for listeners. And I'm going to ask Jerry to repeat that when we come back after the break because in that understanding... Uh, perhaps you'll get a better handle as to just how the cards are stacked in this case uh... Um, jerry boyer with us today he is an economist best-selling author journalist and publisher of the affluent investor daily we're talking about the power of big tech and the challenges in now trying to police these platforms as we call them out for the promotion of half-truths and innuendo And yet, at the same token, they seem to be eager to look the other way when Russian bots want to put information on the web and influence elections. And yet, all about making sure that if a a Roman Catholic organization has something to say in favor of defending life, that they immediately have their account and all their followers, or their, their account... Uh, purge and lose all their followers. We'll take a time out. We'll come back to more of our conversation as Lifeline continues.
1: And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts.
0: Jerry Bauer is with us today. He, of course, is the publisher of Affluent Investor Daily. More information available on the web at affluentinvestor.com. That's affluentinvestor.com, and he thought we thought he an in, an ideal individual to speak to this subject, um, because so much of it revolves around the almighty dollar. And before we get into that aspect of the conversation, uh, Jerry, for the benefit of listeners, it's it's an axiom that I think um, we would be well served to memorize and keep in mind. Uh, you made the comment just before the break. Uh, of the uh, the relationship with any of these big tech companies uh between the product and the client, and who exactly is in which position uh share that with listeners again if you would
1: if the service you're using is free, then you're not the customer <laughs> and if it's a business making a profit right um and you're not the customer, then you're the product yep. 're the product, and that what these businesses do is pretend that we're the customers. So who's the customer? The customer, there's two, kind of two sets of customers. One is um, companies that buy your data. They want to know what makes you tick. Um, and two, and there's an overlap, companies that essentially want access to your subconscious mind by um, right. changing, by giving you a sense of, of, you know, affinity to their brand or trying to manipulate you into a purchasing decision. Uh, they're hacking you trying to get you as advertisers, but they're not really you know, kind of being explicit as advertisers, a little more like subliminal advertising. If I'm watching a TV show, here's a commercial, but I'm watching social media and something appears in my feed. Did it appear in my feed because the algorithm said to, or did it appear in my feed because somebody paid Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn to make it appear in my feed? I don't really know and that's the point I'm not supposed to know because if I know then I know that they're trying to sell something to me so we're not the customer we're the product the customer would be the advertisers and the big data companies
0: so at the end of the day they're either selling us or selling to us but we we are we are on the the commodity end of that uh, of that transaction and I you know when it comes to questions of this sort when we're trying to address uh, a, a lack of fairness in uh, large corporations. Um, you know, h- historically, there's been two ways to bring them into line: either through the power of law or power of the buck. Um, how does Congress go about stipulating controls if these are essentially? Private platforms. Let me give you an example to sort of clarify my question, Jerry. Um, prior to the existence of these platforms, if you wanted to get your viewpoints on a topic out to the public, you might call into a radio talk show. You might write a letter to the editor. But believe me, both the operator of the radio station as well as the owner of the newspaper and their editorial board and the opinion page, uh, th- they control what letters get printed, which ones don't, Um, They oftentimes even edit content. Uh, They'll tell you for space, but (laughs) I also know to a fact it's often done for content as well. And so there's always been kind of that that gatekeeper relationship because our, our First Amendment rights specifically stipulate that government shall pass no law. But we're not talking about a government entity here. We're talking about essentially... Uh, private enterprise. So what's the difference between the kind of censorship that any newspaper in the country, even for the ones that remain to this day, exercise on a daily basis in terms of which letters to the editor that they choose to print from an organization like Facebook saying, hey, we don't feel comfortable with the content that you've posted on your page. We're taking it down.
1: Well, the the difference is that um, it's a lot lot bigger scale with these social media companies, Um, so that matters. But there's another difference, and I want to kind of lay out another option for how you deal with an issue like this, which is that newspapers are almost always privately owned, but these companies are publicly owned. Uh, We own them um, in our 401Ks and our IRAs or our 403Bs or whatever you have, your college um, savings plan. Uh, we are the final authority. If I don't like what Congress does, I can vote. Guess what? If you don't like what the board of directors of Facebook does, you can vote there too if you're a shareholder, and most people are. Most people, have, most people own stocks, and these are giant companies, and giant companies tend to appear in a lot more stock exchanges. So I would argue strongly that um, we start to use the authority that we already have. Um, that we go to the investor relations portal and say, I'm a shareholder. I don't think it's good uh, for you to have politically biased banning of content on your social media platform. I don't think it's a good business plan to uh, treat half of the country like we're not human beings. I don't think it's a good idea for you to alienate customers. I don't think it's fair. So let's have some changes. And if they don't like that, uh, they don't respond, then you go to an annual meeting, which you can do. And they're all online this year, so they're easy to attend, and you force the question. And if they don't respond, then you put a proxy on the ballot, and you you take the issue directly to the shareholders and have a referendum on them. And also you start talking to board members uh, because we elect board. If you're a shareholder, you're the elector. My state legislator pays attention when I call because I elect him or don't. Um, Well, board, we need to bring the pressure. We need to use the authority we already have. We're not using it. We're not used to using it. The left is hyper-organized in this regard, and we are whatever is the opposite. I guess we're hyper-organized. We're we're grotesquely under-organized when it comes to using our authority.
0: And, you know, as a result, we're paying the price for it because, you know, as I suggested earlier, it it feels a little bit too little too late or trying to put all the feathers back into the proverbial feather pillow once we've torn it wide open in a room with a fan going. Uh, I mean, there's been so much damage that has been done and um, right, wrong or indifferently so um, many of the mistakes that they made in not better policing outside actors. in in previous elections, for example, and I want to make it clear, this is not singularly about elections. This has become much broader, much deeper, and even in the article you point out, Jerry, that we're beginning to see the influence of so-called cancel culture, even when people are expressing very wide-held religious viewpoints up to and including religious viewpoints that have been canonized by the Roman Catholic Church in the case of uh, pro-life issues. And, and I use that just as one example of many out there where uh, Facebook has come along and said, you know, we, we just we don't agree with this and we think that it's becoming uh, uh, too much of a hot button issue. So we're going to we're going to cancel your presence on our platform. And so voting with our feet is something that was certainly has always been an option. But as you point out, Jerry, sadly, we've just not learned to really use that tool as effectively as we should.
1: Yeah, we we can vote with our feet and not use them. We can vote with our shares and actually vote. Uh, The other thing is, we can, you know, we can um, uh, uh, start alternatives uh, that aren't as toxic. And every time there's some big, you know, when Twitter banned uh, President Trump. That was a great day for Parler. (laughs) Uh, When Facebook does this kind of thing, it grows MeWe and it grows Gab. There's a whole lot of people out there who are working on completely different approaches like blockchain-based, like the same technology behind Bitcoin, but it's not money. It's sharing ideas, and it would be peer-to-peer, and nobody could censor or control it because that's the nature of the software. So what they're doing is, by alienating customers, They're destroying their business model. They're inviting regulation because we have a piece coming out in National Review in a couple of days that basically says, listen, the left will never like you, Jeff Bezos. You're a billionaire. Mark Zuckerberg it never will. Um, uh, Jack Dorsey, they will never be your friend. You have a chance – to have a relationship with the Republican Party, which traditionally is pro-business, but not if you keep censoring conservatives. If you, if you do this, you will have no friends uh, on Capitol Hill. You'll have no friends with the regulators, and then you'll just become another regulated utility with the same growth rates and return on capital as the electric company. You become just a boring, no-growth, no-growth company. Uh, so you, you, know, you, better think, you better think hard. Uh, about alienating the only political party in this country that um, isn't automatically your enemy by starting to be uh, um, fair. But if you're not, okay. Providence will provide. There will be alternatives. There will be other platforms. There will be more decentralized platforms, and then Facebook and Twitter and Google will just be at some point, in my opinion, distant memories. They will have had their day, and they will have misused their opportunity.
0: So there may be the potentiality in one sense uh, of this kind of quote-unquote running its course. Do you think that people that get just so tired of this that every time they post something, they're concerned about whether or not it's going to wind up uh, in the dustbin or might offend one of the so-called censors at Facebook or Twitter to the point where all the work that you put into building a platform and building a following and providing content, and suddenly tomorrow you discover, guess what? Somebody at Facebook doesn't like it, and they have just made you disappear. and and I see this all the time
1: people will put something on social media and um, not edgy not crazy you know, just like you know, vitamin D might help with COVID, and boom, they're slapped with one of these warnings. Um, you know what 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 you read isn't really attested to, or if somebody says something about the election result. So look, I'm not into like the election was stolen, you know, by the Russian bots, or you know, I mean, you know, I I think there were issues, but they got they definitely could have gotten exaggerated, but. There's no doubt that there are questions to be asked about the election results. Um, whether whether that amounts to a stolen election election lot is a different question. But you put anything on social media about that, and you get these warning labels. People don't like when someone like points at them in these social media contexts, like the algorithms, point to them and basically say, don't believe this person, they're a liar. People don't like to be treated like dirt. By businesses that they're doing business with. And so they move away. And I'm seeing so many more people who are saying, well, I'm going to MeWe now, or I'm going to Gab, or I'm going to Parlor. Um, and I think there'll be other alternatives. I of course, there's go nowhere. How about this? Spend time with your family. You want to change the future? It's, it's, not, it's not on any social media. It's in your living room. It's in your kitchen. Uh, it's in your dining room. It's in your yard. Um, and I think generally, that's how. and in your church, that's really where you make social change. And I think people are beginning to figure that out. They're beginning to figure out that this thing was designed in such a way as really to be addictive in some sense. Uh, There's a kind of a hacking of the mind. There's dopamine addiction. It was designed by smart people to make you stay on it all night. And once people figure that out, um, then they kind of move away from it um, or they manage it or whatever. So between government regulation, which is coming, lawsuits, which they're vulnerable to, new technologies, which want to take away their lunch, and people getting sick of being manipulated, I just don't think – I think that in the end – their attempt to control culture through political manipulation will fail like every other attempt to control people. I'm not saying it's right away, but I just don't think they're going to win in the long run.
0: And I think your point is a very valid one, Jerry, and that is to look at this from the broader lens of the, the societal changes that have taken place here. And that if we want to make changes, it doesn't lie singularly in influencing the board of directors at Facebook to make leadership changes or policy changes. It lies in an area where it's well beyond their reach to stop us, and that is influencing society, being a societal changer. And if you change your behavior, guess what? You don't need to have laws passed by Congress that will essentially uh, neuter um, big tech will do it to them by simply stepping away from the computer or the uh, screen and saying, you know what, I I need to have some limits here because until you impose limits, they will never impose limits. And I think it's a a tremendous amount of wisdom, as uh, Jerry just alluded to a moment ago. Don't think that all of this influence that they have or the addictive nature is by accident these sites were developed by very smart people. And you've got to believe that as they developed the sites, there was a very specific marketing methodology in mind. Remember our discussion earlier about, you know, who's the product and who's the client here. And if they can control and manipulate you as the product to volunteer more time, to volunteer more information, to essentially um, give in, if they can figure out a way to make a buck out of that, that's exactly what they have, will do, and have done. Let's take a time out. We'll come back with some closing remarks. Jerry Boyer is with us today. He is an economist, author, journalist, and publisher of the Affluent Investor Daily. We're going to talk about the money angle when we come back. We'll get to that part of our conversation as Lifeline continues after this update on traffic.
1: And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts.
0: Something that we've talked about on this program many, many times down through the years, it's values-based investing. The idea that when you place your buys within your IRA, your 401k, you're doing your investing, that you're careful to choose companies that are in alignment with your own personal values. So in other words, as an individual you don't want to buy stock in you know tobacco companies for example or within a, uh, a pharmaceutical company that provides the ru 486 well i wonder if this is a case where we need to think more seriously about values based investing when it comes to the investment decisions and there may be p- people listening right now uh, Jerry Boyer, who has no idea that they have holdings in Twitter or in Facebook or some of these other platforms that, uh, you know, they they chose a, a nice big cap uh, growth stock and figured, yeah. good, you know, I'm, 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 the, I'm in this ETF and everything is good. Does it make sense? Is this a juncture when folks ought to be thinking more about their investment choices, particularly as it relates to how we're, we're essentially helping to fund what many of these companies are doing? I think they ought to
1: be thinking about their investment choices, but my default would not be to screen out the companies that, say, are involved with this cancel culture. My default would be to say, when you've got a company that's in your portfolio, this is an opportunity for you to bear witness to the truth. Um, It's not the sick who need the doctor. It's not the well who need the doctor. It's the sick. So when you see something in your portfolio that you think is off – like, for instance, what we're talking about, um, uh, or you know, say some company threatens to boycott a state because of a heartbeat bill. I don't look at that and say, I must sell that stock because selling that stock doesn't punish them. They don't even know I did it. Uh, instead, I say, I'm the adult oversight. Uh, I have legal authority. It's time to be salt and light uh, and get in there and talk to them. And keep talking to them, and don't go away you know <laughs> don't quit talking to them i've had con- ongoing conversations with companies they're off the record where I've been able to educate and influence just one voice um so I would say if look, if your conscience bothers you um then you know the 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 rule about um you know the Pauline rule about uh, meat sacrifice to idols if your conscience bothers you by all means, you have to sell a company that is not aligned with where you're coming from. But if your conscience doesn't bother you, I would urge you to say, how can I use this influence? How can I see this as an opportunity to move them in the right direction?
0: And and moreover, to be mindful that you don't have to be a majority shareholder uh, pulling up to the stockholders meeting in your Rolls Royce to have your voice be heard. Uh, You get stuff in the mail every year where you're asked to vote, you probably throw it away. Uh, but that's kind of your, 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 your entry ticket, isn't it? And as you point out, Jerry, yes. right now with so many of these shareholder meetings taking place uh, online, here's an easy opportunity for you to participate and, and speak your piece, and you don't even have to get in the car to do it.
2: Yeah, you
1: know, and the people on the left who have won every one of these fights, they're not majority shareholders. You know what they usually do? They buy one share just so they can go to the annual meeting and speak up. Um, Shareholders are, by a majority, conservative. I mean, I've seen polling. I know someone who's a pollster, and he only polls those who are owners of stocks. So it's not a poll of citizens in general. It's shareholders. They're much more conservative than the population in general. We just don't show up. Um, and I think if we did, we could have a lot more influence than we think we did. And by the way, there's a resource I, I want to mention. StopCorporateTyranny.org um, has a campaign right now. It's absolutely free. They won't even take your name to do fundraising. I'm not doing any fundraising. It's just you know uh, I had some input and someone built an app. You go there. You put in your name. You put in your uh, you, yeah, you, you say look I'm a, I'm a, a shareholder in Facebook or even I'm a user of Facebook. Click, and it will send an email to the board of directors, to the CEO, um, um, and, um, you know, to the uh, customer service saying, I object to this cancel culture stuff. Um, I mean, it takes about 15 seconds to do, really, honestly. That's all it takes to to speak out on this. Of course, you can do more. If you're you're an investor and you get that statement that tells you, you know, they have an annual meeting, uh, it has a code, you call or email them and say, here's my code. I want to log on to the annual meeting, and there you are, and you can ask a question. One person showed up at the Disney board meeting, a friend of mine, one person showed up and said, "You fired Gina Carano because you thought you, because she you thought it was objectionable for her to use a Nazi analogy. Pedro Pascal used a Nazi analogy, uh, but from the left, and you didn 't fire him i 'd like an answer, and you know what? the CEO of Disney actually had to defend himself he couldn 't avoid it. He, you know maybe you can say i don 't want to take um, questions from from uh, reporters, but he can't say, I don't want to take questions from shareholders because we have a legal right to ask the questions. And we can force that debate. One person showed up uh, out of hundreds and made him defend itself. So just be the one person, just be one more person who's asking these questions. You'd be shocked at how much influence you can have because we're just beginning to get into this.
0: Holding their feet to the fire. Stop corporate tyranny. I want to thank Jerry Boyer for being with us today. More information, by the way, about the Affluent Investor at affluentinvestor.com. That's affluentinvestor.com. Here's an update on traffic.